0: This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Every single thing that occurs, I want people to remember this is a business.
1: Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed.
0: Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Scott Sosnake. Duke. Everybody loves rooting against them, right? Evan Novi Williams. Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred.
1: Mike Oresco, he's the Commissioner of the
0: American Athletic Conference. Jared Smith, President of Ticketmaster. Mindy the Race car Driver, Elio Castroneves. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Scott Sachman. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports today. We begin with some unfortunate news for fans of the New York Mets. Now, according to the New York Post, billionaire Steve Cohen is ending talks to buy the team. Cohen was in talks to buy 80% of the team. The deal valued at the Mets at the league record $2.6 billion. But something went wrong. So
1: you know what I'm doing right now, Barr? <laughs> Besides, you think, maybe having a spasm. <laughs> what, <laughs> what am I doing? We're not on TV. What am I doing right now? You're pump.
0: It looks like you're pumping the gas. Man. Oh, you're...
1: you're Pumping the gas. Yeah. He gets, even when he gets it right, <laughs> he gets it wrong. It's unbelievable.
0: I've been filming. One, one lever off. Yeah, one the brakes. Oh, you're pumping the brakes.
1: High, high over five, there. There. I can't believe he said he's pumping the gas. I'm like, he's got it. And I, he says, to no, him, let's, <laughs> let's pump the brakes on that. <laughs> <You stop> <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I love it, Barr. I love it. That's why this show works. I love it. Is that uh, a NASCAR thing? Do they yeah, pump uh, the uh, gas? No, nobody pumps the gas. It's a steady push. But anyway, I wouldn't go so far. In talking to my source, said that deal is dead yet. Is is there a let's keep? It, is there a speed bump? Is there a hurdle? Has there been a change? Yes.
0: Well, now did the Pond say you know what? Uh, I, I See, it if the perhaps
1: term. there was a little renegotiation going on that this five year window doesn't exactly work for us. Can we control some? Pa- this is negotiation. Is is it less likely today than a week ago or two weeks ago that a deal gets done? Yes. Is it impossible that a deal gets done moving forward? No. So, let let's see what this negotiation brings.
2: I think we discussed probably on this podcast exactly. Um when that deal was announced the idea of committing to buy a team now for a record price but not getting control for 5 years as which appeared to be the the terms at that time that, that Steve Cohen was was accepting uh, that always seemed like it might be a kind of a, a sore spot moving forward it, it, that always confused me that that he would commit to buying this team at this price but then not have control for another 5 as years as
1: some folks in the industry told me when it when it was announced of course, the plan was for Jeff Wilpont to stay on as COO for five years. Which is Fred's son, Jeff. Fred's son, right. So, what was explained to me was, what does that mean? What does it mean for him to be the COO? What it meant was, and this is somebody privy to what was going on, it means that he has to keep a title and he has to get paid. That's it. Mm. It doesn't mean that he has to make decisions. Mm-hmm. So, Which we've seen before you, in other transactions. Yeah. So you, People you were, stay you were, on. Yeah, for a you few were years. right, Evan. It said if you're paying that kind of cash for a team, you're going to have your say.
2: And it doesn't also, to, to my knowledge, change the fact that Fred Wilpon has kind of wants out, right? That that he wants to focus yeah, that, on that real gene, estate. That genie is he out of the box. He wants to
1: focus on philanthropy. In, in, the, in the, uh, the overview here of sports owners, it's not that the Wilpons aren't wealthy. They are. But in the pantheon of sports ownership, the the big boys of the world and the billion billion billionaires. They're years? not
0: Steve Ballmer. They're not Ballmer, right? Well, what was it like about eighteen years ago? They paid what three hundred fourteen or three hundred something million dollars for the team. Yeah. Back then. Yeah. So yeah, I guess this would be a nice profit. But what? But we should add too that Cohen is a minority owner mm-hmm. in in the Mets. Yeah. But I I would just really like to have been a fly on the wall to to see what the heck happened.
1: Well, I just told you what happened. Well, you you are. I want to be on the fly (laughs) on the
0: wall moving forward (laughs) to see what happens (laughs) next. A moving rattle. Oh, my goodness. If you are a Red Sox fan, you are like, holy grail. (laughs) They are trading Mookie Betts and also left-hander David Price to the Los Angeles Dodgers in a blockbuster deal. I believe uh, Dan Shaughnessy in his
1: column said it best. Welcome to Tampa of the North.
0: <laughs> yeah. oh, right? Ouch, right? Brutal. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, those small market, low revenue teams like Boston. <laughs> they, can't, <laughs> they can't quite compete with the big boys.
2: Yeah. I mean, if I was a Red Sox fan, I think I'd be scratching my head at this one. You,
1: you know, know, I'm going to go the other way. Yeah, if so I may let's interrupt. talk about it. Yeah. You know, this team and the manager, they've done okay yes, recently. Without question. They've d- so have they not earned the right to say, we know what we're doing? Have they not earned that right? Well, it's a salary dump for David Price. Well, it's a salary dump for both because you'd have to pay Mookie Betts mega, mega bucks to keep him into his 30s. To clarify my position, I'm not saying this is a bad deal.
2: I don't know enough about baseball to know that. But if I was a Red Sox fan, the success that the team has had over the past two decades has been as a spender. Right and fans, we we know that because we know how angry Barlin's fans are all the time. Fans just like to see a team that is spending money to compete. Well, I don't, Especially think, in today's, I don't be- think we can say baseball. the Red Sox
1: are not spenders. I mean, this just keeps them from having to pay tax on it. I mean, they are they are not committing a, a large
2: amount spender. of money to someone who's one of the best team players in baseball. They're getting money back, but they can't spend it this year because there's no free agents left. There's no one available to spend it on. Um I, I this seems very quizzical to me. Someone who's was, who a was a, people a, like Mookie AL MVP too. a yeah. year and a half ago. Absolutely. Um, 27, twenty seven, twenty eight years old, so someone who is is not old yet by any means. Ask the Yankees about Jacoby
1: D. Ellsbury. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is
2: the thing, and and uh, you can certainly imagine the world in which Red Sox ownership was thinking we we would have to give this guy a ten year deal. In Ten years, he's thirty-eight. He's not producing at thirty-eight. You're it's certainly not now. the way yeah, you're he You're paying is. for now. Um,
1: but and the Red Sox, by the way, they have a long history of not. They, they, there's no loyalty. There's no anything. Yes, you hit mid-thirties
0: in the Red Sox, you're done with. It's them. very Patriots-like. Yeah, yeah. but we got to talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, What's uh, on the top, of, did we miss one? Well, <laughs> it, <laughs> there's an I thought we addressed it. Okay. <laughs> no, I, it's more than that. It's like not only is he being traded, but he's going to the Los Angeles Dodgers, ah. and the Dodgers are totally ticked off. At the Red Sox and also at the Astros. So, obviously because of the, uh, let's call it the uh, camera outside in the cheating scandal. Well, to me, this is more uh, just the Dodgers are literally all in.
1: Like, they have got what's to beyond all the, in? They, What's beyond all in? What's beyond yeah. all in? The chip <laughs> the And then went all in, in, in again? Yeah. The <laughs> Dodgers. And by the way, the Dodgers were catching some flack for not spending cash and for not doing some things. Like uh, uh, It was pretty funny clearly this was in the works or at least in the mindset the dodgers have to win i mean are we looking at dodgers yankees i mean that that collision course but man the dodgers have done everything except win the world series and they've come very close they've come very (laughs) close they have got to win the world series
2: and one more thing kind of stepping back broader about baseball and we've talked a bit about the kind of the frustration with players about the way teams are spending their money. Baseball has forever existed with this kind of delicate balance between a core of teams that are spending money to win now and, and paying big bucks for free agents and a core of teams that are not and are kind of always fire sailing and trying to, you know, catch lightning in a bottle and, and maybe win a World Series or two. Uh, if the Red Sox stop being that Top tier team, and again, Scott, I see your point that we don't know yet if they're going to stop spending, and they probably won't be. But if teams like the Red Sox are also now maybe pumping the brakes, not the gas bar, on <laughs> on spending, on spending big it would dollars, if you just said pumping the gas, <laughs> on spending big dollars. I think that is maybe a little concerning for for Major League Baseball players as a whole in terms of the amount of teams that are trying to win and win now versus the amount of teams that are maybe saving up some chips and trying now, to win. Now, later. picture
1: this, by the way, I have stood in Stan Caston's office the CEO of the team in in left field as he's overlooking sort of the the majestic field and and, and nice view. The, the the whole, the whole shebang uh, yeah and there's a little patio area outside where you can go overlook the field and man he wants to win like man, I'm telling you Stan wants to win he's friend of the program um you know we, we don't root here we don't have rooting interests but uh, I would like to see, just just for giggles, uh, Stan and Tucker Kane and the boys celebrating if that team ever won, because that would be something.
0: I'm going to do my best Larry King. NFL, Jaguars, two, overseas, oh, go. I, th- I thought you were going to say my best Larry King. So, Jerry, you're, you were canceled. <laughs> Jerry, you were you're, you're, Jerry
1: canceled. Do you think... I cancelled the number one show on television <laughs> cancelled if you don't know what we're doing go go YouTube Larry King Jerry Seinfeld one of the best clips ever so <laughs> what was what were, what's the next one? what were you talking about I was talking
0: about the Jaguars
1: oh go uh,
0: Evan's <laughs> well, a Jaguars <laughs> fan
1: yes so
2: course. we'll just let him
0: talk well. go
1: ahead Evan yeah
2: so some actually fairly big news I think uh the Jaguars announced that they are going to be playing two home games consecutive home games in London this year for folks who aren't aware the Jaguars have been playing games in London since 2013, I believe. They've given up one home game each year to go over there. There's more revenue in that than there is at their home stadium. The team's name is now Londonville. (laughs) Uh, And they have an an owner in Shad Khan who is an international businessman who also owns a soccer team in London, uh, Fulham. Best mustache Uh, in sports in ownership. Oh, by far. Yeah, fantastic. Also, the Jaguars quarterback. Gardner Minshew yeah, also, yeah, also yeah. has a also good muscle. Yeah. yeah, he does, man. Always that felt like be there the was a platform there. for the team. <laughs> <smooth. laughs> uh, but I think this is big news uh, for a number of reasons. Um, it's one, it's a play for the team to get more money locally
1: now, right? Well, I saw something where the team is positioning it as. This will help them the get the down. revenue to build the downtown stadium.
2: So they are Shad Khan and the Jaguars are investing a lot of money, and the city is as well in redeveloping the St. John's waterfront, which is right outside the stadium. Yeah. Um, and yes, that's the position the Jaguars are taking. That we have a, a, a revenue plan for years from now. It's this development. We don't have a revenue plan for the next five years, and if playing an extra home game in London gets us there faster or helps us facilitate that long-term plan, we're willing to do Did that. Did
1: you see, like, what's the name of the team supporter group? The, whatever. The one in London? There's a big no, no, one no, in the London. one in Jacksonville. There's a oh, big team fan Duval supporter group. Duval Till We group. Die? I don't remember. I, whatever. I might be But I saw their statement yesterday, which is pretty funny, where they said, we have a good plan, too. How about you win a few football games? Yeah, so
2: this <laughs> is, to me, the, the interesting part of this question is that that all may be true. That that Shatkan may have no plans of moving the team to London permanently. He may really believe that the team is viable in in Jacksonville once he gets this development off the ground. But you risk alienating fans permanently if you're playing fewer and fewer games there. I, I imagine if I'm a Jaguar season ticket holder, I mean, there's my, only eight. There's only is. eight, and now I'm getting six. And you know my package obviously gets cheaper, right? I'm not going to have to pay the same amount for 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 seven versus versus six. But I imagine there's frustration would, there, and by the that's way, I wouldn't the delicate put balance NFL owner yeah, the The price will not be going down. <laughs> that, you can watch on TV. That seems like the delicate balance that yeah. Chad Con is now trying to, is, is trying to to make Jaguars fans and season ticket holders accept that. And then one other real quick thing, because, Scott, we got an email from a a reader, Grant, out in Colorado, who was asking about how a 17-game season, if it happens, affects kind of the home game, away game, balance, 8-8. and Um, And I think you will see that if we go to a 17-game season, there's more leniency built into the NFL schedule for you to play games in neutral sites. And whether that's playing games in London or Mexico City, or if that's, you know, the Carolina Panthers playing games in Nashville. Whatever that looks like, I think there's going to be more options in there for neutral game
1: sites. All right, so the fans in Jacksonville are red-faced, but let's go from red to crimson. We have a guest today, special guest, Harvard football coach Tim Murphy, Uh, and I think I know the answer. And I think it's got something to do with the guy for the Niners who wears number 44, goes by the name of Kyle Usechek, mm. went to Harvard. But coach, just in case I'm wrong, I don't want to presuppose anything. What was your favorite play of the Super Bowl? <laughs> I'll tell you what.
3: I'm going to need I'm going to need about 10 minutes to figure that out, but I'm going to give it a shot when 44 uh, caught the uh, naked for the touchdown.
1: I got to tell you, I thought if He had gotten the second touchdown, by the way, and he he, he got down to the one-yard line, I believe, and the Niners were rolling at the time. If they had won, I'm like, he could win the MVP. Did that come into your mind at all?
3: Absolutely. I mean, at that point, you know, things were going uh, the 49ers' way. They were playing great defense and thought it was going to be a relatively low-scoring game. And two touchdowns in the Super Bowl in a low-scoring game usually is the MVP.
2: Tim, you know, you, you guys have, Harvard has had a number of players in the NFL before. I believe Matt Burke won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. W- when this happens on a, on a big scale, what's the effect that it has, if any, on on your program, kind of specifically, possibly even in recruiting?
3: Well, again, it, 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 it's tough to quantify the effect, but boy, I'll tell you what, I can't remember ever having more text, even when Berkey was in the Super Bowl. And part of it is, you know, Berkey was an offensive lineman, though, although he was an all-pro as well. But yeah, and I think when people hear Kyle, um, he really resonates. Um, First of all, he's a very humble kid. Um, He's a very good speaker in a very unpretentious way. And um, he's just a great reflection on Harvard on many levels. And uh, that he happens to be a kid that's well, you know, fairly well educated and and goes out there and can compete at the highest level, Um, you know, it, it certainly has gotten the attention of a lot of folks over the last couple of weeks.
2: Do you mention his name when you're when you're talking to kids about about you know their interest in playing at Harvard? is, is Ryan Fitzpatrick is, is Kyle Juszczyk, are these names that you were kind of constantly you know pitching to them as you know if things go well, not only are you going to get a great education, obviously, but it's possible. You can yeah, it's play possible. at the highest level.
3: <laughs> yes, and, and I put it in that context. I said, listen, the reality is kids don't come to Harvard to be in the NFL, even though we currently have nine or ten guys in the NFL. Uh, We happen to have five tight end H-backs currently in the NFL. But that's not the primary reason they come here. They come here because they know that football is going to end some other day. But uh, the reality is we actually have kids in the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball. But it might be the last place you'd expect to see that.
0: That, You brought up a good point. How do you help young men? Because once they leave the NFL – uh, they're going to go on to what they're going to do, whether it's business or whatever. How do you help them in preparing for life after football?
3: Well, I think to some extent, you know, we get such great kids intangibly kids, high character kids, kids that are tough, resilient, and, and very driven in a positive way. Um, but I think the reality is that, you know, it's a challenging world out there and, yeah, uh, and education is only going to take you so far. Even a quality Ivy League education, um, what you're going to need is you're going to need great self motivation. You need a great work ethic. You're going to need those resiliency skills because things will not always go right, personally or professionally. And I think the other great thing that you know our football kids learn is is time management. You just can't do it all. You know, in our in our program, I tell the kids, listen, there's three things you can really do in a day academics, athletics, and social life, but see, you can never do all three in the same day. And you've got to figure out that balance. And when a lot of my kids, let's say, you know, they're not NFL kids, let's say they're going to medical school or they're going to be in an investment banking. Um, we know what the rigors of that are, especially right out of college. And our kids say, well, coach, it's relatively easy. I go define relatively easy. They say, well, you know, the grind that we had balancing academics and athletics, it was challenging. But it was uh, obviously very rewarding. And when we get to med school or we get to IB, it just seems easier for us than it does for a lot of the, the quote-unquote kids that, uh, that we meet coming out of other schools.
1: All right, Tim, you ready for a genius idea for free? Can I give you an, a genius idea for free? And, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm saying yeah. These are free for a uh, reason. These are free for a reason, <laughs> but we'll see. I mean, come on. This is the business of sports show. You had Kyle Juszczyk in the super bowl scores a touchdown all the texts are coming in you got to strike while it's hot so you got to get your ardent supporters together in a room you got to bring Kyle and I, I I'm not going to do the boston accent this is going to be a new york accent but he's going to have to ask them can you write a check
3: He's gonna say that, and we say we just parked the car.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, you know, you got the new room in the yacht, whatever. But can you all write a check? Is this going to be a tangible thing? Does this translate in any way to dollars, to school dollars, to program?
3: I think the reality is that when things are going well um, at any university, you know, we, we're coming off, quite frankly, you know, a, a tremendous capital campaign. Almost, you know, just you know, the numbers just keep going up. But Harvard in an enormous recent capital campaign and raised almost $6 billion. And I think that means that people across many spectrums of Harvard really love and appreciate the experience they had at Harvard and, uh, you know, where it's, you know, been able to take them professionally and personally and their families. So we're just part of it. Harvard is all about diversity and that diversity is not just in terms of socioeconomics and ethnicity, but it's about diversity. We have a lot of great science scholars. You know, we've got a new, amazing engineering facility, and we've got kids from all over the country, all over the world. We have athletes. We have people in the arts. And I think athletics is just part of that diversity.
2: Tim, I think a lot of a lot of our listeners may not realize that you know, Ivy League football teams don't play in the postseason for for Division One AA. So you know, you've had a number of undefeated football teams that I'm sure you would have loved to see how they would have played against some of the best teams in in your division. And unfortunately, you know, just because of the rules of the Ivy League, don't play in the playoffs. Are, are we closer to that potentially changing? Do you see a future in which? the regents, the, the presidents of the universities, the ADs, get together and strike an agreement that, that maybe lets the Ivy League champion keep playing in, into the playoffs?
3: I do see that happening someday. I hope it's in my time. <laughs> um, but I do see it happening for the very simple reason that when you have 42 Division one varsity sports, as we do at Harvard, which makes us the largest Division I athletic program on the planet, when 41 of those 42 can compete in postseason play, you can probably say it makes a lot of sense that we shouldn't have any bias uh, to hold anybody anyone else back. So I think this will happen someday. I think it's it's a no brainer. It just it's just not the time apparently. Yeah. And,
2: and is there a business case to be made? I mean, it seems like you know an Ivy League team playing in the playoffs is certainly you know a good way to you know engage donors to maybe sell media rights. To, is there a business case to be made that there is a commercial opportunity that the Ivy League is missing out on by not letting its best football teams compete in the playoffs?
3: I'm not sure there's a business case from the standpoint that it's going to be a gigantic moneymaker. You can quantify how that's going to resonate with alumni in terms of gifts. But I think it's it's more of just more of a, a sort of a no-brainer fairness issue. Um, I, I just think that uh, I think the powers to be. We've got some tremendously bright people uh, across the board in the Ivy League, and I, I just think they're all going to come to the same conclusion. It doesn't really make sense to just uh, – have one team that's not allowed to go that route
0: i have to bring up by the way there's another very popular harvard uh member who went into pro sports not maybe football but definitely on the basketball court lynn sanity jeremy lynn he he must have helped the school also in bringing athletes to the university
3: no question about it. You know, I, I remember very vividly the uh, the period that Jeremy Lin was at Harvard and loved going to the games and, and uh, you yeah, know, and then seeing him to be able to play in the NBA on the biggest stage at a high level. And, you know, whether it's our kids in the NHL, our kids in Major League Baseball, um, we have a, a former uh, women's player who's been knocking on the threshold of making the Olympic team in soccer. Um, and I think a combination of those things is really something to be proud of. And like I said, whether it's the arts, whether it's science, whether it's athletics or something in between, I think that's what Harvard's all about. It's about diversity and it's about excellence. And the people you're talking about uh, happen to represent the athletic end of that.
1: Right, just so you know, my, my son's 10 years old. He's a top flight hockey goaltender. So I just want to let you know, uh, seven or eight years from now, when Ted Donato comes calling, I'm using the Tim Murphy name. Murphy's, right. Mur- I- Murphy said to call.
3: I'll get Teddy on
1: that right now. There we go. All right, Tim Murphy, head coach at uh, Harvard University. Thanks so much. Thanks to Harvard football coach Tim Murphy.
0: This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scott Soshnick and Evan Novi williams pumping the gas. We pump the gas. We are here every Monday, Wednesday,
1: and Thursday exploring the world of money in sports.
2: Join us again at the end of the week. We're speaking with Jeffrey Pollock and Oliver Luck, two of the big brains behind XFL. the XFL launch at
0: the end of the week. Oh, you're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. I hope so. On Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online, wherever you get your podcast.